You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Jim Wank, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Pleasure to have you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Pleasure to be here. I love seeing your name in the news and watching you on, on every zoom panel. I can, I consume as much Jim Wank as I possibly can. You seem to be all over the place these days. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a lot to talk about and, you know, there's a lot happening uh, in the workspace and workplace market, New York city and beyond. So it's very interesting to hear our peers views on how the workplace is changing. So there's tremendous amount to talk about. Cool. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into a bunch of that. Uh, maybe for the benefit of our audience, you could just give uh, a quick background of yourself. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm a vice chairman and board, North American board director here at Savills. I just started this past January, so we're in month three, uh, but super excited about this opportunity. Uh, Savills is a platform I've long marveled and respected over my 21 years uh, in the commercial real estate services sector and kind of our MO and our core business uh, in North America is just servicing the real estate needs of corporate occupiers. So uh, we just sit on one side of the fence, you know, representing and advising our, you know, corporate tenant occupier clients on everything from their workforce, uh, labor, space management, real estate portfolio management. And uh, we have some really good technology in-house as well that we continue to build and augment. Yeah, I started my career at a pure occupier platform called Staubach in 1999, right out of school. And that company was acquired by JLL in 2009, which was a very good, I'll call it marriage of those platforms and had a really good run at Stallback and JLL and still have a lot of good friends there. Uh, But we saw this as an opportunity with, you know, the market being disrupted uh, through the pandemic, kind of going back to our core roots and being on a platform that we thought would best service our core clients uh, being on an occupier focused platform. So uh, we're super excited. There's a lot of good changes and investments happening at Savills. Um, including we're actually renovating our headquarters here on, on Park nice. Avenue. Yep. So um, I'm sure we'll touch on more of that in a bit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, congrats on the move. That's that's awesome. So you've kind of come back full circle to the pure tenant rep side of things. And I got to imagine that, like you, you alluded to, the current environment created by this like forced work from home and remote everything situation because of the pandemic seem to be a almost like a lining of the stars for getting back into that value prop of look we are we're only on this one side of the fence yeah for sure and we just you know this was probably long time coming we all 
every business didn't know how well, you know, technology would work being remote and a forced work from home experiment, but clearly it's worked well and fairly efficient for most business sectors. But I'll also say this, clearly, as we start to get back to our office now, you know, my team, we're, we're almost back in the office full time now. There is so much benefit from being together uh, in a physical workplace, just from a communication, collaboration, mentorship, uh, idea creation. But I also think there's benefits to having that flexibility to work remotely and I think um, there's definitely a happy medium, just depending on your business, your sector, your competitive set. Every business will find their way. But the good news is for companies like ours, as organizations really try to find their way and what works best for their culture, there's a need for our services and, and us to be a great partner to them, to provide them great insight and advice to help them. Uh, reshape their organization to the best, most optimal workplace. Yeah. Workplace is kind of the key word there because, you know, I probably crossed paths with you, overlapped with you at JLL at the time. They had a pretty robust workplace strategies practice and, you know, pretty much all the major firms do these days. Do you see that as becoming a much more important uh, service line to the occupier client going forward, at least over the short term, next call it 18 to 24 months? Yeah, I see it as a very important component of our service offering. Um, it has been continued and will continue to be. You know, clients, it doesn't even matter how large or small they are, even for a 50-person organization. They want benchmarking information. They want to know what their peers are doing. They want to know best practices. They want to know, they want ideas on how to you know, shape their culture and their organization and their workplace. And we have those, you know, that intellectual capital and those assets, we think really, really good assets in house. So I think it's, it's a service offering you must have clearly, you know, our competitive set in the service provider space have it. And then also there's really good, you know, architectural firms that have that service as well. But, um, you know, I think integrating it in-house with our transaction teams, our strategy teams, our project management teams, you know, having it under one umbrella for certain profile clients is a real, real benefit. Um, clearly, our, our workplace team has their own clients that we don't do all their transaction work and vice versa. So, but it, we have a really talented group here and we're collaborating with them already on multiple accounts. Awesome. You mentioned technology briefly in your introduction. So uh, talk a little bit about your perspective on kind of the rise of prop tech these days or just technology in general and how it enables people in your seat, uh, real estate professionals, even specifically tenant reps, whether that's in-house tech that you've built or are building at Savills or third-party tech, it seems to be there's been, especially in New York, a proliferation of, of tools and data services that are at your disposal now. How do you describe the change in the industry that you've experienced over the last, call it, five years as a result of, of, of new tech? Yeah, it's, you know, look, I think everyone in and around this space have long known that, you know, the way we've delivered services to our clients has been very manual and analog and 
archaic uh, to an extent. You know, our business is still very much a human to human advisory type business, but the processes to and data transmittal to clients, I think has been very analog uh, up until the last, call it, like you said, four to six years. And there's these tools and platforms and softwares that everything from uh, a client evaluating a building or, you know, seeing what, uh, how their potential workforce is dispersed around a certain area, you know, access to talent, how would that talent get to certain locations, commutation analysis, to the way we, we as service providers interface with our clients, you know, everything was over, you know, when I started in the business, it was fax and mail, and then it was email. And now there's workflow platforms that allow you to collaborate with your client, you know, over the cloud where you know, there's not, as you, as you can imagine, during a real estate project, there's a lot of stakeholders, there's a lot of different people touching the decision-making and giving a lot of input and to have kind of one centralized platform where you can collaborate um, or maybe just a couple platforms where you can collaborate and integrate all the information is very important. And I think that's a constant work in progress. Also, just it's a generational thing in our business where you have people who are earlier in the business, say five, 10 years um, in an advisory role compared to some of the you know, people who have been veterans in our business who have been doing this for 30 plus years. You know, getting different people adopted to the technology has been a challenge, yeah. but clearly this business is accelerating uh, at a, to a point where technology, our clients demand these tools and the information to be a lot more called synthesized, easy to read and understand and get it at a moment's notice. Yeah. W- would you say that technology is like an enabling factor for younger people in the industry to get better at their jobs quicker and basically come up that learning curve faster? For sure. You know, there's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because you have technologies and, and I can use, you know, say the couple platforms that we've all used is say CoStar and VTS, where you're getting property information and digital video. And, you know, it's great to have all that information really at your fingertips on a mobile phone or through apps or your desktop, but also, you know, that doesn't entirely replace walking the streets, you know, understanding, you know, understanding why different buildings, what sets different buildings apart, you know, whether it's the size of their floor plate or the window line or the column spacing, ceiling heights, you know, who the asset manager is with the building, what's their reputation, how do they charge for things? There's a lot that you have to learn both digitally and there's still an element that you have to you know, physically understand the buildings. Um, so I think there's room for both. And I think for you to stay ahead of the curve as a professional in our business, you really have to embrace both. So 
but no doubt the younger, you know, as companies become more digitized and technology is disrupting every business sector, our clients who we're dealing with, whoever's handling the facilities, real estate, workplace, workflows and process on the client side, they demand the information to be clear, concise, fast, and, um, you know, no more, <laughs> less PDFs and much right. more, much more hyperlinks. Yeah. You think about the whole process of, of administering a, a, cor- a portfolio of corporate leases, not to mention a pipeline of transactions. So if you have a super active occupier client, that's, you know, demanding a lot from your team in terms of looking at potential sites and negotiating with multiple landlords. And then, you know, they have their own problems to deal with in terms of, you know, staying on top of their, you know, lease obligations, their critical dates, managing their workforce within the four walls of all of their offices, whether that's remote or, or, or in the brick and mortar building, there's just an inordinate amount of information that is just like still today, largely locked up in PDFs and PowerPoints and Word documents and Excel spreadsheets. But you get people graduating from, from school who are, are probably so used to just literally going to college online, right? <laughs> they, their world is, oh yeah, I log into this for this, or I log into that for that, or I could get this on my phone. So at some point there has to be, you know, a compression of all of that paperwork into these systems, whether it's Occupy or VTS, of course, CoStar is the big one. And I would imagine that like, no, no, no matter what tool you're using, you're at a competitive advantage if you have people on staff that could use it, but nothing like you mentioned really replaces that kind of boots on the ground, brick and mortar aspect of, of real estate. Yeah, there's clearly that's, that's actually part of the fun of our business is, is the brick and mortar is walking the sites, you know, deal making is still done, you know, on site, you know, obviously pre pandemic, but I also think post pandemic, we will get back to, you know, making a deal in a boardroom or, you know, that trust factor when, you know, our client is between their top two finalist buildings and the executive team, you know, walks both of them and meets both owners. And, you know, there's a handshake that, you know, we're going to enter into a, a long-term arrangement together. And those two parties have to trust each other that, Yes, while it's a brick and mortar, you know, they're supplying a brick and mortar to the, that organization. We all know it's very much a service business because you know, they have to live together and there's always going to be service needs uh, of that corporate occupier that they need from that landlord. So, but it's clearly from a facilities management, workplace management, and our business, the transaction business, the lease administration business, these components continue to be improved and a company like occupier just makes it simple for, for clients to grasp their information quickly. And that is the future. I mean, it's um, you know, it's companies like occupier, but there's a lot, like you said, the rise of prop tech, there's so many good tools out there that are getting a lot of investment by the venture capital community and they see a huge opportunity in this space uh, to augment or disrupt kind of the old way of doing things. And I think that's been long overdue and we all must embrace that change because it's happening. 
Yeah. And like, let's be honest, it's no fun having a closing dinner over zoom, right? Like <laughs> you still, <laughs> no. you still, that's a part of the real estate industry that I think like, you know, attracts people to it. You know, I certainly, you know, my first job out of college, I sat at a computer all day and just kind of like keyed in information and, you know, in, in the finance world. And I transitioned over to, you know, brokerage back in the early 2000s at JLL. And, you know, I was out every night. I was meeting people. You're going to cocktail parties. You're, you're just entertaining people. You're doing all sorts of extracurricular stuff, which I think is probably one of the more, you know, fun and rewarding parts about that industry because you build relationships with people. And, you know, if those relationships turn into, you know, win-win business situations, then, you know, that's kind of the most fulfilling part of it. And I don't think technology will ever really replace that. You might, you might, you know, you might leverage the virtual tour of, of a space, but at, at the end of the day, it's a, it is a people business and you have to kind of always remember that too. Yeah. And I think, I mean, most businesses at the end of the day, there is that, you know, human to human component, you know, you still have, you know, if you're ordering you know, goods on Amazon or, you know, even Apple, there's still customer service that, right. you know, you, you, you need to call on and, uh, you know, replace the crack screen. And, you know, so that, you know, while technology has just improved our lives tremendously, there's still that human component. And yes, all those fun things that you mentioned, you know, we look forward, everybody's just clamoring to get back to some sense of normalcy, um, hopefully, you know, whether it's later this year or uh, early into next year. But I think most people see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, you know, we're going to be going back to doing business, I think, very much, much closer to the way we used to do it than call it the way we've had to do it. Yeah, I'm telling people that I think this uh, is going to be the roaring 20s. Like the, <laughs> it's going to be the second roaring 20s because we're in, the, we're in, we're in a period where I think there's just so much pent up energy um, for people to get back after it, uh, you know, like they used to face to face. So I think it'll be awesome, obviously, when we all get back to normal. But I think there will be like a huge surge in, in just general activity, especially in the real estate world. Let's transition over to uh, the world of New York City real estate. So what is going on down there and what's your take on how severe or not? Uh, the impacts of the pandemic have been on the fundamentals of, of the, you know, Manhattan real estate market and give us your takes on, on where you think it's going. Yeah. So look, you know, from a leasing perspective, uh, leasing was down about 60% year over year. Yep. And, you know, I think if you're a business owner um, or an executive, if you did not have to make a decision in 2020, you did not. You punted or you just stalled any type of decisions around real estate, workplace, because nobody, there's so much unknown. And companies that did enter into leases who had to because they had a lease expiring or some other reason, a lot of those transactions were short term. So they might have just renewed for one year or two years. There was also, as you can imagine, some businesses and industries that were much more affected than others. So the retail, the hospitality, certainly co-working and flex space was severely impacted. 
in our sector where other businesses like legal and finance were not. And, you know, they work perfectly fine remotely and, you know, they were paying their rent even though they weren't accessing their offices. But where I think we, where we are today is the ice is starting to thaw a bit. People do see the light at the end of the tunnel. I do think every company is going through the decision-making process of um, they're going to make some level of change in workplace flexibility with their labor. And whether that's, hey, we're an office-first culture, but I used to have my entire staff come in five days a week, and I'm going to allow some portion of my staff to come you know, work remote one day a week to the polar opposite of, hey, we used to have everyone come in, you know, most of the time and, you know, we're going to get rid of a lot of our real estate. Uh, that's right. an extreme case. But every company is going through that evaluation and it really depends on, A, what sector you're in. What, what do you actually do as a business? Is it service-oriented? Is it product-oriented? And two, the fabric and the culture of the company because – you have to remember, Matt, all these companies, and let's use technology companies, which, and again, technology spans a lot of different industries, but you, you recall as a recruiting mechanism, a lot of times, besides all the, hey, unlimited vacation days and bring your pet to work and, right. you know, all those ping like pong great and ping beer. pong, yeah. but, but a lot of it was they would showcase their workplace the space itself. The space, yeah. because it had this energy that had this, you know, a lot of collaboration and, hey, we get together after work and, you know, you can work from the couch, you can work from your desk. Um, you know, we got this unbelievable workspace. We have a masseuse that comes in and, you know, whatever, whatever perks it is. And it's just that while working remotely has been very effective, you have to imagine that most humans crave that, um, you know, being together and maybe you don't want to be together with your group every single day for 10 hours a day. Right. But I think people have come to realize and will come to realize once they do start coming back to their offices, how much they really miss that physical engagement that you could never really get over zoom. And I can tell you right now, you know, I worked effectively remotely. You know, I have a young family. I have over an hour of commute to, to New York. And uh, working at home was fine because it was forced. Um, but being at a new, in a new workspace, well, we're in a new workspace here at, at uh, Savills. We're renovating our offices. But even if it wasn't renovated, being around people and having those, you know, conversations and mentoring our associates and, you know, it's not even a comparison. Now yeah. that's our business. That's our business. There might be other businesses that, you know, people don't only need to see each other, you know, once a month um, or some departments. But I think in a, in a market like New York, that's so hyper competitive. I was explaining this to one of our junior associates today. If you had two different, if you had two colleagues, two associates, 
and they both did the same task at the same level and they did the same quality of work. And one was, um, you know, full-time remote or remote most of the time. And the other person was in the office most of the time, you know, learning you, learning about you more personally, you know, creating additional bonds with you. And you can only promote one of them. I have to believe that there's a 99% chance the person who is around you in the office more is going to get promoted. Just my hunch. I mean, that would be my take, but you know, that's for the, we'll see how that all plays out, but that has, it has nothing to do with the person's performance. It's just that you've built a bond with somebody and those bonds are typically in a physical set, you know, a physical environment. So, but I think the, the future of New York is going to be very bright. We're, we're coming out of, you know, a big valley here. And there's a culmination of a lot of things that made it very negative in 2020, notwithstanding the virus, but, you know, political leadership and, and some other things that were very challenging. And I think we're coming out of it. And I think, you know, there's even an article today about people in the finance sector, how they all, some of them, you know, were temporarily relocating to Florida. And now many of them are coming back because the, their, the best schools are here. They know the culture and entertainment and hospitality sectors will reopen. So all of that's going to happen. And this is the cultural capital and the business capital of the world. And, and it's not going anywhere. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it's too bad we can't uh, it's too bad St. Patty's Day is going to happen too early into the into the recovery here because <laughs> you would you would think that would be a perfect opportunity for the top to blow off New York, but that'll come for sure. What what is vacancy right now in New York? Well, vacancy is approaching fifteen percent. Yeah, and I think the one of the most important stats is the sublease space as a percentage of that vacancy is hovering around thirty percent. And when sublease space is around 30% of total vacant space, that's when, um, you know, the market fundamentals adjust, you know, it really adjusts downward the asking rents and, um, and net effective rents. So we've seen net effective rents correct, uh, between 10 and 20% over the last, you know, really year. But now that, there's a lot of sublet space and some of the co-working companies are giving back space and there's some shadow, you know, shadow sublease space and, you know, demand will come back. We're all, we're already starting to see that, but it's not going to come back enough fast enough for owner landlords to hold their pricing. They're going to have to adjust their pricing downward, which they hate to do because, you know, for a valuation perspective or how their how the building is financed or their how the capital stack is in the building, they really don't want to go back to their partners and have to put more equity in or you know, refinance with their lenders. But the the values are are going down. And yeah. they're gonna be down, you know, we think they're gonna be down for a couple of years because it's a laggard it's kind of a lagging figure. So by the time demand really comes back and there's much more demand, you know, and absorption, you know, taking some of this vacancy away, 
you know, that's, that's going to take years, not months. What's um, your, what's your over under on when New York gets below a 10% vacancy rate again? I think it's, um, I mean, it could easily be 2025, 2026. Wow. Yeah. I mean, but that doesn't mean 22 to 24 is not a healthy environment and a growing environment and a prosperous environment. Um, it's just that we've, you know, we had a pretty big hole here, Doug, over the last 12 months. Just take any company. I mean, you could take HSBC as a big bank. You know, they clearly said they're going to downsize their office space over the next three, four years in a cost-cutting measure. I mean, you could take big institution after big institution that they're, you know, they're cutting overhead. They're finding ways to cut overhead. So the work from the remote working has been working for them and not every employee needs to be in five days a week so they can, they can cut space. But on the flip side, I think this city is a city of innovation. It's a city of great, you know, capital investment. And there's going to be companies, you know, that are going to keep expanding, creating jobs, have a need for office space. And that happens every single year, year over year. That coupled with, you know, again, because it's the talent center of the world, big tech, even that are HQ'd in California and elsewhere, they're still making very large commitments in New York, even during the pandemic. So, you know, it's, there's going to be some ups and downs. And I was quoted in Bloomberg the other day saying the market is going to be very choppy for a while, but it is. And yeah. um, you, you asked for a prediction on when it gets below 10%. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's four years away, but I think starting really the second half of this year and for the you know year over year, I think we're going to see, You'll, you'll see things stabilize this year, and then we'll start seeing some positive, positive absorption over the next few years. Yeah. I mean, the fundamentals are the fundamentals, right? They don't sh- shift overnight. What, what's your take on the co-working slash space as a service um, portion of, of occupancy in the market? Because so much of the, the headlines, at least, over call it the last two or three years leading up to the pandemic was just like WeWork becoming Manhattan's like largest office tenant. And you're just gobbling up space, whether, whether or not it was warranted or not. And then you had, you know, other competitors like Notel, Industrious and, and other group that were also kind of following suit. Now, Notel has been purchased by uh, Newmark, right? And then in, uh, CBRE, CB, yep. uh, I think Industrious was CBRE. Oh, that's uh, right. Uh, like, Notel, uh, Notel is Newmark. That's right. Right. So you have two of the larger competitors, um, you know, being kind of absorbed into the, uh, you know, the, the service provider side of things. And then you have WeWork that's corrected itself and is certainly not as large as a, as an occupier as they previously ha- had been. Is, is that sector still going to be as compelling of a option for occupiers that are, you know, looking for flexibility or, or just looking to outsource their, their headquarters operation? And are those companies going to maintain their position as like legitimate, you know, tenants in the market. Yeah. So a couple things. One is that industry has been around for, for a long time. Right. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not new. Um, it's not new. And, and landlords who provide, you know, 
pre-built, um, you know, 4,000 foot spec suites, you know, that's almost the same thing. I think Regis, yeah, yeah, Regis has been around for, you know, 35 plus years. And I just think we work notwithstanding all the money behind it and, and the, the buzz and the great marketing and the bravado and everything else you know, that it did. But I think there was, you know, a need to have more modern, you know, kind of modern co-working space than Regis because that fell in line with how companies are becoming more digital and the younger set of companies, innovative companies. So, you know, Regis was traditionally much more kind of business executive office, which again, I think that business is here to stay because a lot of businesses don't want a loud, you know, uh, very dense communal type uh, right. flex space, right? But I, clearly they, we work over expanded tremendously. They're getting right-sized. And I think there's so much money behind them or that has been behind them that they will get to a place where they're stabilized. And while a lot of people, you know, investors lost a lot of money, they will find a way to be a normalized business. Um, it seems like they have some good leadership in place and, and um, you know, they, they're going to get to a normalized state probably in the next, you know, 12 months or so. But clearly industrious, they grew in a more measured approach. And I think the way they structured their uh, arrangements with owners have were much more partnership agreements and management agreements. So, much more less risky for them. And, you know, landlords can kind of offer that space as a service to tenants in the building and small tenants that are coming in so they could share in the revenue and, you know, they share in the downside. I think that is the future of the business. Not every provider will do that. From a large scale perspective, a lot of the providers who par partner with landlords are going to set up, set up their arrangements in some fashion of a management agreement, kind of like what hotels do. I think that the industry is definitely here to stay and it's going through a tremendous you know, consolidation, which we all knew was going to happen. I mean, we knew it four years ago <laughs> that there was, we knew it was a bubble. We knew there was overexpansion and, um, but there was a lot of money being thrown behind them. And, since there was a lot of positive absorption, companies needed flex space. I mean, they just did while they're moving headquarters or, you know, WeWork and Notel did a good job, you know, instead of a 150 person company, you know, signing a seven year lease or finding a sublease, which there wasn't many subleases in, in a hot market, they would do a two year arrangement and pay a much bigger premium and kind of outsource their facilities to a WeWork or, or a Spaces or Industrious. And I think that business model has merit up to a certain scale. You know, if you're a company, I think once you get up, and every company is different, but whether you get up to 50 people or 100 people or 250 people, at some level, it will make more sense to take on your own lease and have your own, you know, head of facilities who's going to deal with facilities management. And it just depends on the business and the sector. But that, you know, kind of flexible space as a service, I think, is here to stay. And clearly, 
landlords are getting into the have been getting into the business themselves. That's been happening, right? right. So we just have to see how it all shakes out because it, it's shaking out as we speak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The next few years will be interesting to see how how it does shake out. Jim, this has been awesome, man. Uh, always appreciate your insights and we're going to hold you to your 2025, 20, 26 prediction for that 10% vacancy uh, number. We'll, we'll have to check back in four years with you and, and see where we're at. But uh, in the meantime, man, take it easy. You know, good luck with the new, with the new team, the new, the new brand. And I'm sure you'll continue to provide awesome service to your clients and and really appreciate having us. Yeah, show, thanks man. for having me and really appreciate it. And um, all the best, continued luck to, uh, to o- the Occupier team as well. All right, Jim. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. See ya.